Welcome to the Power Your Life radio show with host and success doc, Joanne White. Author, speaker, certified coach, and energy master, Doc White gets to the heart of what matters most. She features guests and experts to help you consciously create more success, health, and wellness in every area of your life, work, and relationships. They'll share their success stories, wisdom, and know-how to help you shine more light onto your day and into your life. Power your life right now. Here's Joanne White. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Power Your Life. I hope you can hear me. We had a little bit of a technical problem, and I'm just very grateful for so many of you out there. Many of you are caregivers, parents, and you have family members. I actually am going to ask all of you to give a special prayer for my little Selena, who is a a Siamese, and oftentimes our pets become our family members, and she is certainly a family member to me. Speaking of families, many parents are very excited about having children, and they love the idea, and they have a child, and everything seems to be going well, and then suddenly something can shift, and that often happens when you are parenting a child with autism, and so today I have a very special guest. Her name is Teresa Cooper who is going to talk about parenting a child with autism, the challenges and the beauty from a mother, an activist, and an author. Teresa Cooper, before deciding to become a teacher, worked as a caseworker for social services. She then taught special education for eight years. Now she teaches math to seventh graders. She's the author of Embracing the Spectrum, which is a blog that offers the achievements and struggles of a family in which one person has a diagnosis of autism spectrum to provide family support, encouragement, as well as awareness of autism. Teresa Cooper also writes articles about teaching and about special education for the educator's room. She has certifications in special ed, secondary math, elementary education, and middle school language arts. Teresa became a huge advocate for children with special needs since one of her two children was diagnosed with autism. She's been featured on the Washington Post, 10-Step Survival Guide for Special Ed Teachers, and with this guest blog post on many other sites as well. Welcome, Teresa Cooper. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Wonderful. Thank God we worked out the technical challenges there. It's really good. So uh, as I was saying, many parents initially, their child seems to be developing normally. So, you know, whatever normal means, and then something happens. Can you give us a little bit of history of what was going on with your child? Yeah, sure. Um, So with with my son, um, you know, he seemed to be doing very well. And um, up until he was about 18 months old, you know, he was able to follow directions and um, seemed to be learning at an adequate rate. And then all of a sudden, I started getting phone calls from the daycare about his behavior. Um, He stopped following directions at home, and it was just not like him at all. So I wound up getting him um, diagnosed. Um, At the time, it wasn't with autism, but he... He had some 
um, he had some delays in a few areas. And so we kind of went from there. And as we continued through that journey, um, someone suggested that he possibly had autism. Um, And once I read about it and learned more about it, I was like, yeah, that's definitely, that definitely fits. And then we kind of just went from there. How old, what's your son's name? How old is he now, Teresa? Um, his name's Patrick. He's he's now nine years old. He'll be he'll be ten on Halloween. He's a Halloween baby. Um, <laughs> so he'll be entering the fourth grade now. I told somebody else earlier, you know, Halloween. I should have known that things would be a little bit scary. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so once you found out, um, what was your reaction? Because oh. many parents get very upset and you know I mean there there are so many different views and so many different responses and and whatever what was your reaction then and where are you with with Patrick now in terms of of you know just how you feel about him and and about about Patrick having autism well I mean quite honestly I was not surprised because I was seeking the diagnosis um so there was kind of a sense of Relief once I got the diagnosis because, like, yes, now finally somebody's seeing what I'm seeing. Um, my husband had a little bit, it took him a little bit longer to kind of grasp it and figure it out. You know, when you get the diagnosis, there are, I'm sorry about the background noise, by the way, um, <clears throat> there, there are more questions than there are answers. So it's kind of seeking those answers as to how to help him best that was more of the struggle than actually the diagnosis. Right. So um, um, as far as as right now, um, I'm I'm coming more to an acceptance as far as, you know, this is just the way things are. This is how he is. And we just have to figure out how to adjust things to help him. Okay. So, um what kinds of things do you do to for for his for Patrick's adjustment? Um, well, he um, he reacts very strongly to loud noises, so he has some some headphones to help with that. Um, I set up like a little sensory closet for him where he can go and kind of relax for a few minutes. I got like a yoga mat and some Christmas lights and. He kind of goes in there, closes the door, puts a blanket on himself and kind of de-stresses a little bit. Um, Things are very scheduled. Um, There's a lot of routine, and and there are visuals to help him kind of understand what we're asking of him. Why is routine so important? important? And can you walk away from the noise a little bit because it's distracting? Yeah, yeah. Why is routine so important for children on the spectrum? Yeah, hold on, let me. And we're talking to Teresa Cooper, parenting a child with autism, managing behaviors, and community engagement. So often it's a challenge, although there's, we've come a long way. There are many challenges right now in the community just in terms of awareness and even more than that, it's not just awareness, but acceptance. And so having parents yeah. with knowledge really help if they they take their kids out in the community. Okay, so Teresa yeah. Cooper is back. <laughs> um, yeah. So 
what other kinds of things that we, we got interrupted? What other kinds of things do you do right now for Patrick that seems to help him? You have that um, the place. Well, you know, every him. child is different, but for him, he he's not a, he's not the kind of child that is averse to touch. He, in fact, is comforted if if I hug him and kind of hold him tight. Um, it kind of I I guess it's kind of a security thing for him. He feels safe, and um, you know he has some sensory issues. So um, a lot of what we do is just kind of um, strategies for dealing with that. He's had speech therapy, occupational therapy, um, and I finally finally just got him hooked up with a therapist who will hopefully be able to help him work through some of his frustrations. Frustration with what? With doing things? With, with other people? Yeah, with what? Yes. Oh, well, everything. Um, it's, he he is verbal. He's able to communicate. But when he um, is overwhelmed with his environment, when he's frustrated with a task that he can't do, um, when he's frustrated because he can't figure out how to connect socially with the children around him, um, rather than using his words, he tends to act out behaviorally, you know, hitting and kicking and spitting, sometimes he disrobes. And so trying to teach him the coping skills that he needs to kind of get through those situations is something that we are currently working on. Good, and and I think it's a process. Now, you said something important, and I also had Temple Grandin on my show, and and Eustacia Cutler, her Temple Grandin's mom. But you said something that I I think is really very important, and that they say as well, and that is that, you know, every child is different. So just because you have Mm -hmm. one child with autism, it doesn't mean that every child has the same kind of behaviors or, 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 you know, promotes, has the same kind of, right? Like even like Patrick likes to go into the closet and, and, and Patrick likes to be held. Some children don't, some children don't have the sensory issues or the, the, so there are so many different kinds of things. Why is routine? You talked about routine and I think, I think we need to address that. Why is routine so important? And how is it a challenge to keep that? A routine is very challenging because you can't predict um, everything that's going to happen. I can I can structure his entire day, and we're going to, you know, we'll wake up, we'll eat breakfast, we'll get dressed, we'll go to the pool at 9 o'clock, we'll stay there for an hour and a half, we go home, we eat dinner, um, you know, I can plan out all of those things, but then there are going to be days where we're not going to follow that same routine. And I think part of it is just trying to plan ahead as much as possible for events that are not the norm. So if, you know, if there's going to be a day that I have a doctor's appointment and we can't go to the pool, letting him know ahead of time in giving him a visual schedule of what we're going to be doing that day and saying, okay, we're not going to go at 9, but, you know, it's 3 o'clock, we can go to the pool, you know, things like that. Um, His teacher is letting us know in advance when they're going to have a substitute so that he can kind of go ahead and mentally know in his mind the teacher's not going to be there, but it doesn't mean that she's not coming back. Um, Just those kinds of 
things are very important because um, he just, he doesn't understand why we can't do things unless I have already kind of explained what our day is going to look like and given him those visuals so that he knows that it's okay that we're not doing it at 9 o'clock, we can do it at 3, or it's okay that his teacher's not there today, she'll be back tomorrow. Those kinds of things are very important. So you mentioned the pool. That's because we're in we're in summer, but in in the winter, you know, in the fall and the spring, it's more about the the routine of going to school right. and coming home and and all of that stuff. Do you exactly. think, Teresa, that that people that work with Patrick and with other children on this spectrum and also teachers understand? The, the importance of routine and do you think that I mean do you have to tell have you had to tell teachers about that or or people that work with Patrick or what I have um it depends on you know what kind of teacher it is um special education teachers you know they're they're pretty up to date on the whole autism thing at this point it's it's been a few years um since you know, that started, that word started coming out into the mainstream. Um, but they're just now starting to train regular education teachers in um, learning how to how to handle and, and help children that are, are different from what you would consider the norm. Um, so, yes, sometimes I do have to tell them, well, yeah, he had a rough day today, but, you know, kind of walk, having to walk me through what happened so I can help them understand what the trigger was. Um, I, that's, that is something that I've had to do a lot. Okay. Now, you said ch- children that are different. So there are so many kinds of differences. There are you know, children on the spectrum. There are children with learning challenges. With you know, all to, So teachers need to kind of get up to date with, with all of this. Now, we don't want, you know, you and I are teachers, and I've been a teacher, and I'm a teacher of a different kind right now, But and, and you teach school. What do you think is important for teachers to know and to be educated about, and, and is it lacking? And again, we're not trying um, to, we're not here trying to blast teachers because we value teachers, and, you know, like I said, we're teachers ourselves. Yeah. Well, it's it's like um, I, I went to a stress management workshop, and I was with a whole lot of parents that have children with autism, and, you know, they kind of went on talking about teachers, and I said, you know, when I first got into special education, I had no idea what autism really was. I didn't know, and it took me years to figure that out with you know, having my own child who who wound up being on the spectrum. And, you know, if a teacher's been teaching for, you know, longer than than five years, they probably haven't been trained unless someone has come into the school and done a workshop. So just, you know, going and seeking professional development, um, looking for articles on these types of students, you, you don't know who's going to enter your classroom, whether they're going to have, you know, a learning disability, whether they're going to have autism, whether they're going to have Down syndrome. You don't know. Um, so when you look and you know who's going to be in your classroom, first get to know the child, 
then go and and look for those resources or reach out to your special ed teacher um, who who should be able to help come up with strategies. That that would be my suggestion. What about the role of the parents? Because parents usually know their children, their child, mm-hmm. their children like no one else. Yeah. And I remember when I wrote my Bully Free book and I interviewed families and children and young adults with, with different kinds of special needs, one of the concerns was just that. And so can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, and, and see, that's what I would consider part of getting to know the child is, is having those conversations with the parents. Um, and it's it can be time-consuming when you have, you know, 60 kids, you know, to to try to figure that out. But, um, you know, you, you could send home, you know, personal interest inventories. You can send home questionnaires, you know, ask the parent what what they need to what the teacher needs to know about the child. What strategies do you use at home that help? Because you're absolutely right. Um the parents know their children, they've had them, they gave birth to them, they've you know, you know, I'm going on almost ten years of of being being with Patrick. So I know a whole lot about him that, you know, the a teacher just getting to know him they just don't know. Um, and you you can research autism and come up with general strategies, but there are things that are different about Patrick that, you know, we have to kind of sit in a meeting together and brainstorm those things. Is that happening, Teresa? It is. It is. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a pushy parent. Um, so I, I make sure that those meetings happen if, and, and I've been at I've I've um he's been to schools where where it's been a little bit of an issue trying to get a meeting, um, but there there are ways you out of respect to the teacher you know I usually give her some time to because I know that you've got to get all the people together for the meeting because I've I've taught special ed I know how that goes, um, mm-hmm. but if I haven't heard back within a week. Um, then I'm going to contact the teacher again. If I don't get a response, then, you know, I kind of go up the ladder. And it's not because I want to get the teacher in trouble, but it's because something is happening with my child and we need to figure it out. Right. Um, And I think that a lot of times um, as teachers, I can speak to just being afraid that the parent is going to be angry and and wanting to avoid the situation rather than kind of dealing with it head on. Do you see the reverse happening as a teacher whereby a lot of parents, and again, you're not teaching special education anymore, but whereby parents are reluctant or reticent, maybe because of a cultural background or something, to come in Mm -hmm. and communicate with with teachers. And and if you've seen that, as a teacher, what have you done about that? Yeah, that, that happens a lot. There there are lots of contributors to that. Sometimes it's not that they're not interested and we perceive it as that, but that's not it. It's that they feel that they're stepping on the teacher's toes by trying to come in and, and talk to them and they don't want to make the teacher angry or they're they're working and they're afraid they're going to lose their job. You know, there are lots of things that contribute to a parent not coming in. Um Offering them the opportunity to conference over the phone usually works pretty well for parents who can't come in. 
um, you know, trying to make sure they understand that they're they're an important part of their child's education um, and, and that it is okay for them to express any concerns that they have. Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell someone, you know, you're not going to, I've had a lot of things said to me, so it takes a lot to offend me. So if there's something that needs to be said, you know, just go ahead and say it so that we can get it on the table, deal with it, and put it away. Now, and because you've been a teacher and you are a teacher, maybe it's it's easier for you. Do you see many parents, because you do have this blog um, and you do connect with a lot of parents, do you see parents having challenges like you said, being able to do that, and how do we how do we make that better so that parents can articulate what their what their needs are and concerns are, and that that dialogue? Because I think I think you're so right. That dialogue is essential to wherever a child is. A different environment sometimes different mm-hmm. it calls for different kinds of skills or behaviors from the from the the specialist or or the educator. Right. Right. Um, you know, as as a parent, um, I know what it's like to go into a meeting on the other side of the table, and you have all these questions in your mind that you want to ask, and then you get to the meeting and it's gone. Um, so what what I have started doing is writing down what it is that I have concerns about. Um, a lot of times I I bring an advocate with me to help me because I can be a little shy about expressing concerns since I have, you know, the people that I am dealing with are working for the same school district that I do. So having that third party (laughs) step in, right, it really is because you don't want to step on someone's toes and then you maybe have to work with them later and you've destroyed that relationship. So I, I really try to make sure that things are said tactfully, that I give that teacher the, um, benefit of the doubt when it comes to them wanting the best for my child and and maybe they just don't know how um and bringing an advocate really does help a lot and um I know that in North Carolina the autism society has um you know autism advocates that that you can have come to meetings I don't know if that's just, that's something that happens in every state but it is so, so helpful because they'll sit and they'll plan with you and figure out what are the three most important things that you want to get out of this meeting. And they will make sure that if you don't voice it, it gets voiced. So it's very helpful. You know, that's so important, and it sounds wonderful that this, you, where you live, they're providing it. Many parents have to pay. There's so much expense as it is in right. terms of you mentioned so many special services and now maybe a therapist and you know a lot of this is coming out of pocket and an advocate may be something that's also an extra but I also from from interviewing parents know that when they go into school with an advocate just like what you said they feel you know they they feel well represented as long as it's not adversarial because that doesn't help anybody Mm mm-hmm you're absolutely so, right. Go ahead. You have this, that's okay. You have this this website blog, Embracing the Spectrum, which to me calls to to you know not only embracing the spectrum but 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 getting to a place of love and acceptance 
with, you know, for your child and for your child's strengths as well as limitations and whatever. Could you speak to that a little bit and why you called it Embracing the Spectrum and what that means to parents and to families in in your mind? In in my mind, when I came up with that, I felt that just as a society, we need to take these children in and try to understand who they are and love them. Um, not not um, despite their disability, but because of the things that make them special. Um, you know, my son, there, there are a lot of things that we need to work on, but let me tell you, his memory is fantastic. Um, he can keep me on schedule because he'll look at the clock and he knows when we're supposed to be somewhere and he'll get me moving. And, you know, <laughs> there. I'm telling you, at 9 o'clock, if we're not at the pool, he will let me know. Um, he he just, there are lots and lots of strengths. And sometimes, you know, even even though I call it embracing the spectrum and I'm I'm accepting and loving my child, you know, sometimes I do have those moments where I just feel overwhelmed because I want so badly to help him and I'm, I'm like fighting to get these resources for him, which is so hard sometimes. And then I feel like a fraud <laughs> because <laughs> because I get that negativity in my mind. And but but then when I go back and reflect, it's not because I don't love my child. It's not because I don't embrace who he is. It's because I am angry with society sometimes, and and. The lack of understanding, you know, with one in 68 children being diagnosed with autism, it it sort of feels like people should know by now that there are children out there that are different. Now, what do you think it means that one in in 68 children have autism? I mean, do you think it's more prevalent? Do you think we're just diagnosing it? And what does it mean, you know, you talked about, Patrick's strength, and I know that from working with children, too, and you read More Heaven because every child is special, and I mean, I found the memory of this one kid and and just the, you know, so much incredible strength that many of us don't, you know, we have different strengths, obviously, we're all special. Um, So what what do you think about that? I'm trying to remember your question. Um, so in terms of the one in 68 children, do you know, because, sorry, do you think it's because it's more prevalent or, or where we're diagnosing, you know, what, what is it? What is it? What's going on? So I read this other really good book. Um, and it's, um, oh my goodness, I can't remember the title of it now. That's okay. Um, but but what it talks about is the history of autism when it was first when it was first even mentioned when it was first diagnosed and i don't think people understand that the first diagnosis of autism didn't happen until 1943 and it right. was only being diagnosed by one man and so i would say i don't think that it's so much that you know, we've got this um, rise of children with autism and we really really need to be concerned and figure out what's causing it and stop it. And I don't think that my personal feelings on that is not that it's, it's that, but it's just that we know more about it now. 
um, you know, they used to call um, mothers that had children with autism refrigerator mothers. And they would be right. parents. And, right. and and that that sort of changed over time. So it wasn't it wasn't until the nineteen sixties that an advocate group first started getting together for, for these children and not until the nineteen eighties did did the diagnosis of autism enter into the DSM. So you know, it's, it's, to say that it's more, pre- yeah, I mean, to say that it's more prevalent now, I don't think that that's the case. I think parents were so afraid of judgment from people that would think that they were horrible parents that they just didn't bring their children out. And I think well, that still happens. Right. And I think it, I, I agree with you. And I think it was worse then. I mean, could you imagine? And I've worked with parents who were loving parents and they were told that they were cold, you know, especially the mother that the mother was cold and, and, like you said, refrigerator, and that's why their child had autism. And I kept thinking, mm-hmm. what could you imagine some doctor telling you that about about how you loving your kid and you know it's not so, but how demeaning on some level, and you start to doubt yourself and wonder if there's something. Yes. I mean, it's horrible. Yeah, it is. In In writing a blog you are open to criticism from people all over the place. And I have had I have had comments from people who clearly don't know what they're talking about, so I, I can disregard. But in that moment when you first read it, it just kinda gut wrenching when someone tells you that you're you know, you really should be doing more for your child, your child's a monster and I mean people can be so cruel. So and, you've got um You've gotten those yes. kinds of comments, yes. really? I have, yes. I have had someone tell me my child is a monster. He needs to be in, be hospitalized. All kinds of things. So when I put it out there that he does these things, on the one hand, I know that there are other parents going through the same thing and thinking they're alone. On the other hand, I know that I am opening myself up for people to come in and tell me that I'm not parenting my child correctly when they don't know what I do, when they don't know right. that I have pages and pages of lists of phone calls I've made trying to find resources for my child and still haven't. They don't know that about me. Or, you know, they'll see it, I'll write about it, they'll skip that whole section of of what I've written and just read about the things that he does and say, oh, well, you're a horrible parent, maybe you should thank him. and You know, just... You you get so many comments, and the reality is that then we go out to the store and our child behaves that way, and we're thinking, is someone going to think this about me? And it can, it can be hard because, you know, society is starting to come around, but it's a slow process, and I think that as more of us venture out into the world with our children and make people get exposed, to our children and and the things that are different about them until we do that and they start to see more of it, I think I think it's still going to be a struggle. Um, it just and depends I, on how many they've seen. Right. And like you said, it's not always easy for parents to do that because they're already kind of braced for criticism or, you know, whatever. I remember being on a radio show and, and saying, something that happened. I was sitting in a diner. It was probably like two years ago and I was waiting for my friend and the woman in the booth, two seats 
two booths ahead of me. Her son had Tourette's, and I was familiar with it because I worked in special education. And he was a little loud and had some outbursts. And she had to go in her mind, which she did, to every booth kind of apologetically saying my child has Tourette's and there, you know, so, and I, and I mean, I, I was thinking, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a day where, where parents didn't have to go through that kind of explanation? I've had that moment and it's, it's, we're sitting at a Japanese restaurant and you know how they do the whole show and the steam comes oh, right. up and all that. Right. My son darts out of the room. I mean, and he's in the meantime making lots of noise and all of that. And this elderly couple is sitting next to us, and the man turns to me and said, he has autism, doesn't he? And I am taken aback because, first of all, I don't expect that from an elderly person because I feel like, you know, they've gone their whole lives really not being that exposed to it. And second of all, it's very rare that I have someone recognize it for what it is and say, you know, and and they're and I can see in their eyes that they're being loving and accepting, and you don't you kind of feel the eyes of judgment more, right? So those people are out there, they're out there, but you know the, we we have to be kind of more thick skinned than than other parents, I think. And it's not always easy because you're, you're you're vulnerable. Well, when you're when you're already exhausted because your child woke up at four o'clock in the morning, and then you have to go to the store and someone's looking at you like you're the worst parent in the world. I think those are the times that it is hardest to say, okay, they just don't know. Exactly. So you've mentioned something. Teresa, about resources out there and and the challenges about... So what kind of resources are there for parents that you're familiar with? And do you give that out on your um, blog? There there is a resource page um, on my blog, and I'm trying to add more to it. But um, if you apply for disability for your child, and they do base it on your income and your resources until your child is 18, but... In North Carolina, and I'm not, again, I'm not sure if this is something that is national, they get put on a wait list. It's called an innovations waiver. And through that waiver, you can get resources like, you know, a mentor for your child, respite time, things like that. Um, I don't know that that, you know, I don't know that that happens in every state. Yeah, and that's a shame. And, yeah. You know, honestly, it's it's even hard here too. Even though we're supposed to get those services, the staffing is not there. They're not trained, and so we've we've gone since January without anyone. Well, so. I think I think that over the years, a lot of parent support groups and parent advocates mm-hmm. like yourself, yeah, you know, had to do that because there had there had to be something out there for themselves, you know, for their family yeah. and also for other parents. So are there some yeah, hooking up with the, yeah. Yeah, hooking up with the autism society um in your state um and looking for chapters um in your area that you can go to meetings for would you know, and a lot of times they have Facebook groups where they'll post like events and and you feel more safe there because everyone's going through the same thing sort of. 
Um, so, I mean, that would be my first recommendation is hooking up with the Autism Society, and, and that is a national group. I know that. Um, but I would I would definitely consider reaching out to them because, you know, that's what that's what they do. That's their specialty. And, and looking for support groups in the area so that you can get with other parents and kind of brainstorm together sometimes about how to get those services or get support or, you know, have a shoulder to cry on even is, is more than, you know, it's better than doing nothing. <laughs> right. And that's important. Now, there's also a lot of controversy, and I don't want to put you on the line or whatever, so if it's not comfortable, don't answer it. But there's a lot of controversy in terms of whether autism should be cured and looking for a cure for autism Mm -hmm. or people to really accept autism because these children and so many of them are coming in with incredible talents and gifts like, you know, like Temple. Brandon, yeah. who, who really yeah. my thing is i okay. i don't I don't believe there is a cure, and I don't believe that I need one. I believe that we need support in place for him so that he can optimize his talents because I mean he's got them. I think um there are companies that should be able to see the strengths in these children's children who then become adults that have that intense knowledge in one subject area because they know everything about that one thing they're interested in. And that is something. Um, The military has started hiring people with autism because they're so um, detail-oriented. Who has hired them? The the military. Um, I don't remember which branch. Yeah, they're starting to hire them because... They're so detail-oriented that they can look through um, documents and things and and find what it is they're looking for and quickly. You know, they have fantastic <laughs> memories. Oh yes, and right, I mean, my right. son can. He's interested in cars. Thing is, he knows the the um the symbols for every single car, even ones that are not national. He can mm-hmm. identify every single one. Um, and has started to do it by the body of the car, not just the symbol. And so I can just imagine in his future when he gets into, like, the hood of a car and memorizing where things go, and, you know, that can lead him on a path. He he may have some limitations that he needs to get past, but he also has an incredible talent that needs needs some he needs some help focusing it in so that he can use it to the best of his ability. And you know what? I am totally in support of that. I think that's so very important. Teresa, I love your blog and you also, you know, you also represent authors and books and have interviewed people. And thank you for that because I think that, that there's a lot of diversity on your, you know, blog to tell us, our listeners, how they can find out more about your blog, Embracing the Spectrum, get more information from you, et cetera. Um, okay, so it's really simple. Um, the blog is embracingthespectrum.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Um, it's Facebook slash Embracing the Spectrum. Um, on Twitter, it's at Embrace Spectrum. Um, 
And if you go through any of those three things, you'll find all the rest of the social media things that I'm linked up with. Um, you can find things that I've written on the Mighty. Um, the Huffington Post has some of it. But all of that is linked up to the blog. So, um, And there's a contact form at the bottom of the blog page. If there are ever any questions and you're not a Facebook person, you can always submit questions that way. Um, and I'm happy to um, host anybody who wants to to write about their experience because I think that it's important to get a diverse, um, you know, number of scenarios for people to kind of understand that they're all different. Good. I think that's important. So before we go, and thank you so much for being, you know, on the show. I know you had other responsibilities that you took time to do that. What do you want parents to know, and what do you want community people to know about children on the autism spectrum? So I'm going to be um, extremely, um, what is it, uh, predictable in that response. <laughs> um, okay. the, the usual saying is you, if you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. Right. They're all different. And once you get to know them, they are some of the best people you will ever meet. Wonderful. And I think that's why, pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> why do you say that? They, I mean, I believe it too because I fell in love with the children that I work with. But why do you say that they are some of the best people that you'll ever meet? Some people think that children and adults with autism lack empathy, and I think it's the opposite. They feel more strongly than anybody else. My son will be the first person to notice when I'm upset, and he will come and try to comfort me. Now, that is, he may not do that when you first get to know him because he doesn't know you, but he wants so badly to be accepted and loved, and they all do. But, you know, getting past what you believe should a, a typical person should do and getting at the core of who that person is, you'll find so much wonderment in them because they are so inquisitive about things that that happen around them. I mean, I I could probably go on for, for hours about how wonderful. I mean, there's so many that I have met that I've talked to online and they're just um just like just like everybody else. They they all have different issues and things that they need to work on, but they also all have so many wonderful things that we need to get to know about them. You know what? I am in total agreement, Teresa. So thank you so much for taking your time, and I appreciate you and all that you're doing to help people learn more about autism, create more awareness, more support, more respect and some help for a lot to help for families. Have a great day. Thanks again for joining us. Okay. All right. It's my pleasure. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye. Thanks. So you've heard from Teresa Cooper and her blog, embracingthespectrum.com. You can go there, as, as Teresa said, get a lot of different information, different viewpoints. And remember my book, More Heaven, because every child is special, just got one, a Mom's Choice Award, it's an international bestseller, 
And I'm not saying it to brag. I'm saying it because I was so invested in the children that I worked with. I, I learned so much from them. And as Teresa was talking about their beauty and their specialness, and, and I can really totally concur with that. And I think that what I learned is, and hopefully many teachers of today are learning, is that not only is every child different, but you also have to work with a child differently and be a little bit creative and spontaneous as well as, as, as Teresa said, have that routine, but you have to figure out what works, what will help that child speak if that child doesn't speak, what will help that child behaviorally if there are some behavioral issues, sensory issues, and Teresa mentioned a lot of them. So remember that, and you can go to get more about my book, More Heaven Because Every Child is Special, on Amazon.com. It's also on BarnesandNoble.com and Outskirts Press, and it's on my website. Next week, we're shifting gears, and August 17th, Wednesday, noon Eastern, we're going to have Lori Seltzer, who is going to be talking about angel messages and life lessons, and this is going to be a call-in show if people want to call in and get some angel messages, seltzer. So make sure that you tune in. We love the support that you folks are giving us. Keep keep the messages, the commentary coming because it helps power your life, get better, and we're here to serve. And remember what I always like to say, which I believe wholeheartedly, is that you have the ability to empower yourself, to empower your day no matter what, and to make a difference not only in other people's lives but in your own. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a blessed day wherever you are. You can reach me at Joanne at Dr. D-R, Joanne with an E, J-O-A-N-N-E, W-H-I-T-E.com. Go to my website, drjoannewhite.com. Find out more about more articles, books, and upcoming guests. And if you missed any part of this episode, you can go on to Blog Talk Radio or my website and find out more. Have a blessed day. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the Power Your Life radio show with host and author, Dr. Joanne White. Listen often and spread the word about the upbeat show to enrich you and grow your life in the direction you desire. Listen again and again and visit DocWhite.org for more information and find out how Dr. Joanne can benefit you. Thank you for sharing your day with us and stay tuned for more exciting guests and events to come.